Please join me in a spirit of prayer. Gracious God, giver of every good gift, lover of souls, I give you thanks that you have rescued us from the powers of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your Son. May his light reign in us so we may know him in all travail and all celebration. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In high school and in college, I spent my summers as a lifeguard. It's a great way to make some money every summer. And of course, to be a lifeguard, you have to go to lots of classes at the YMCA and get lots of certifications from the Red Cross. And the one thing that's consistent through all the levels of training is a mantra that I'll never forget. Reach, throw, row, go. Reach, throw, row, go. This was drilled into our heads to stop gung-ho lifeguards from diving into the water to save people when it's safer for us to reach, throw, row, or go. The whole idea is rescue the person by from a place that's secure and safe for yourself. So first you reach. That doesn't work. You throw something. That doesn't work. And if you're in a lake or an ocean, you get in a rowboat and you go get them. Finally, last of all, get in the water with them. Why was this drilled into us? Because drowning people have a long record of drowning the lifeguard. When you're panicked and dying, you grab hold of whoever comes near, and the result is you both go down. So reach, throw, row, go is life-saving advice. And I could not get it out of my head as I read the gospel this week and studied it. First of all, because Jesus is not rescuing us from a place of safety. He's not rescuing us from a place of personal security. He didn't reach or throw a row. He's all go. He went right into the very heart of human depravity, human cruelty, human sadism, human rejection and loss and pain. He went all the way in to get us. And so we see him in this horrifying story from Luke being crucified. And reach, throw, row, go wouldn't leave my head because not only did he go... Someone else who's dying with him is grabbing onto him in the moment of his death. Will he drag him down? And this is the strangest thing to me about the story of the crucifixion, is that even in the midst of this horrendous torture, one of the people crucified with him turns towards Jesus for help. What explains this? A dying man looking to a dying man for help. A drowning man looking to a drowning man for help. What possibly explains that? Of course, there are two people being crucified with Jesus. Commonly remembered as thieves, 
probably a mistranslation of the Greek, which is sakari, which means people with long knives or rebels. So he's being crucified with political opponents of the regime. And one turns towards him for help, and the first one joins in wholeheartedly in the abuse. Even while being crucified, he is heaping scorn on Jesus. He is joining in wholeheartedly in the ritual of crucifixion. He might as well be an icon of what internalized oppression looks like. Even while dying, he participates in the horror of the state killing people. And that's what crucifixion was for. Crucifixion was a stage-managed death. It was a ritual death. Some would call it a liturgy of state power. It was a way that Rome displayed to the populace what happens when you oppose, ironically, the Pax Romana. It was a way that Rome cruelly and sadistically humiliated its enemies, stripping of them of their power, stripping them of respect, discrediting them, humiliating them, imprinting the power of the state on their bodies, even making them a billboard, in a manner of speaking, for Roman authority. Because unlike us, where we do our executions in very controlled spaces, very hygienic spaces, Rome always did its crucifixions on the main road into town. So there is Jesus in agony as a warning sign to the populace about what happens if you present an alternative to the Roman power. This will happen to you. And it has an amazing effect. We know from all the stories surrounding Jesus, his disciples scatter. He is betrayed. People join in the mockery to show their loyalty. Fear is injected in the people so they will not organize around any alternative to Roman power. Jesus was an alternative. Even though the sign about him being king of the Jews is meant ironically, it was more truth. He was this alternative ruler in this world who was showing an alternative way of truth and life. And for that, he could not be tolerated. And he had to be executed in a way that broke up the body of people around him and scattered them to the winds. That's what terror does. And that's what makes it even more remarkable that this second rebel or thief, whatever you want to call him, it makes it more remarkable that he turns towards Jesus for help in the middle of this swirling maelstrom of horror and mockery. Another purpose of this type of execution was quasi-religious. By sacrificing the person who caused trouble, by 
sacrificing the person who raised the anxiety of the people by presenting an alternative way, by sacrificing that person whose alternative way had a different sense of accountability to it, well, I could be living the way of love, the way of God. The authorities are expelling the threat from the body of the community. They're expelling a threat. And by expelling this threat publicly, they relieve the pressure that this alternative puts on their corrupt world. It's the classic work of scapegoating. Put the tension, put the injustice, put the anxiety and worry of a community on one innocent person and throw them out. And then we feel better. We relax. We are one people under authority again. It's a quasi-religious expulsion. And history knows it all too well. Here in the United States, hundreds and thousands of lynchings of African-American people were similar. Not products of justice, not products of truth, products of fear and hate and anxiety. And you will see these postcards that were printed of lynchings with the poor soul who was killed hanging from a tree, surrounded by a great crowd of white people smiling at the camera. Proud to be there. What was being enacted? It was a ritual expelling fear projected out of hate. Making things feel right in a corrupt and unjust sense. It's a false righteousness. A hollow righteousness. Whereas Jesus displays the true righteousness of God, the true making us right with God. That's why that second thief turns to him. That's why the second rebel turns to him. Because Jesus, even in the agony of crucifixion, is displaying his unity with God and his freedom to reign in love, even from the cross. Even from the cross, he reigns in the freedom of love. The Romans would have been smart if they'd gagged him. They would have been smart if they'd cut off his tongue. Because even from the cross, his ministry continues. And this explains to me why that second rebel turns to him. Because on the cross, who is acting like the king? Who is merciful? Who is forgiving? Who is wise? Who is righteous? All those things that Jeremiah describes as the attributes of the true shepherd of the people. The true king of the people. That is Jesus. Showing loving kindness. Showing forgiveness. Showing mercy. Showing attention to his reconciling ministry. Still bringing people together all the way through. And that speaks to his doomed companion. His doomed companion is the only person in the picture who understands that even in the moment of death, Jesus can reconcile him, heal his relationship with God forever. And that's why that second rebel 
turns to him and says, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Where do we know that from? When you eat this bread, remember me. When you drink this wine, remember me. The moment is Eucharistic. The moment is meant to show the connection of God's sacrifice with God's people's eternal destiny. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. And remember me means put me back together. Knit me back into community with God. The opposite of remember is dismember. And that is what crucifixion was all about. Dismembering the community of God. Dismembering the body of Christ. Disarticulating God's people. But here we have Jesus in the midst of all that healing it. Bringing it back together. Calling people back into community with God. Remember me. Bring me back into the body with God. Even in the agony even in the dying, even in the place of ultimate despair, Jesus reigns as king in the freedom of love. And that's why we celebrate him on Christ the King Sunday. He reigns as king in the freedom of love, in every place of despair, in every place of loss, in every place of injustice, in every place of agony, Jesus is there, reigning in the freedom of love. That's where he meets us, and that's where he makes room for our freedom to blossom, for us to be re-knit into this kingdom of God, this body of Christ that puts us back together again. There is no place that we can go that Jesus has not been. And there he meets us. And there he saves us and brings us home. Amen.